Good morning. Check, check, check. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Welcome to church, everybody, on this Memorial Day weekend. Pat yourself on the back because that means you're a real Christian because you're here at church. All of you guys who are like watching online, uh, you're like half Christian. Uh, it's really good to be with you guys uh, here this morning. Luke, uh, thank you so much for kind words that you said. Um, Luke was very kind to leave out the parts where they uh, saw me on tape when I had fallen asleep in my office. So uh, there's that too. Um, speaking of Luke, a few weeks ago he came up here and he issued a challenge of sorts. Uh, and he said that when he was looking around at all of the uh, I, Terry gave me this joke, by the way. I didn't come up with this, so credit to Terry. But um, he said that he had, him and Olivia were looking around at all the babies, the new babies at the church, and said to themselves, we can do better than that. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. But um, I got some pictures here this morning. Uh, good luck, buddy. No, you guys have a pretty good track record so far, so I don't doubt um, that y'all's next little kid will be beautiful. I can't wait to meet her. There's a joke in there, but you guys can. Uh, by the way, baby dedication is going to be next week, uh, so be sure to show up for all of that cuteness. Um, so I'm excited about that. Well, um, we got a lot to dive into this morning, so I'm going to pray for us, and we can get into it. Dear Lord Jesus, I just ask for your help this morning. God, I need you in order to portray you properly this morning. I pray that people would just, through what is said, be able to see you accurately. Jesus, I pray that it would result in us trusting you more and loving you more and being amazed by you more. Um, so I just ask for your guidance, ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we've been going through Matthew, as you guys probably uh, remember. If, you are not, if this is news to you, then you're probably one of those people who aren't Christians either, haven't been listening the entire time. Um, that we've been doing this, so I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, somebody's going to leave and be like, you could have said I wasn't a Christian. Uh, so anyway, we're going through Matthew, and uh, we got through the Sermon on the Mount, and since then we've been going through a few more uh, things where Jesus has been going around, he's been healing people, he's been performing miracles. Every now and then he'll stop and have some teaching. And last week, uh, Luke was teaching us, and uh, Jesus was talking to some people in Capernaum, and that's where we find ourselves today, and we are picking up literally right where uh, Luke left off. In fact, where Luke left off, we are in Matthew 9, verse 18, if you guys have your Bibles and want to go there. Um, John's disciples were just talking to Jesus, and they were asking him some questions, and Jesus is answering, and our first verse, 18, uh, starts off with somebody actually interrupting that conversation that Jesus was just having with John's disciples. And so we pick up in verse 18. It says, As he was saying these things, 
a leader came, bowed down before him, and said, my daughter has just died. Imagine you're having a conversation with somebody trying to talk theology, and some guy walks up to you and says, excuse me, my daughter just died. That's, that's one way to start a conversation. But knowing Jesus' reputation, he comes up, he says, my daughter has just died, and he says, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And so Jesus gets up, and he goes with the man. And so Jesus is here at the synagogue. This guy comes up, says, hey, will you come heal my daughter? And Jesus says yes, and so they're walking along. And they don't get very far before they get stopped by another needy person. This guy just said, my daughter died. And right after that, it says, you can read along with me in verse 20, it says, and then a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Now, I got to say, uh, Wayne came up to me right before this, and he said, you're talking about the bleeding woman today, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, be careful with that. <laughs> and uh, Wayne knows me really well, so not going to go into too much detail about that, but <laughs> we do need to talk about her just a little bit. So Wayne, I'm just going to look, keep looking at you and if, if you just signal me, okay, if I just uh, start going a little too far. But this woman uh, had this issue of, of bleeding, and this is a significant thing because the Bible uh, actually had the the, the law of Moses had stipulations laid out for women who had this kind of issue. Uh, back in the Old Testament, Moses laid out uh, the ideas of ritual purity. And um, these weren't sins. If you broke these, these, you weren't like a bad person in anybody's view. But God had um, an ideal for his temple. His temple was going to be pure and it was going to be holy. And there were just some things that you just couldn't bring into the temple. And one of the things was um, women bleeding. And so in order to be ritually pure, in order to be able to go into the temple, in order to go before God, you had to be pure. And so if you were having this issue this woman did, you had to do a bunch of things to purify yourself. Uh, you had to purify, you had to take anything that a woman sat on, anything that a woman laid in, or any person that she touched, you'd have to either wash that stuff, the person would have to bathe, the person would have to clean them, their clothes. And so it was just a really big deal. Um, it wasn't like as bad as we talk about the lepers and stuff like that sometimes where they have to go around and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if anybody touches them, they could get the disease and be, you know, forever out of the temple. But it was a thing where people would probably not be like going up to her on Sunday morning at church and giving her a hug. And it says that this woman had been struggling with this issue for 12 years. So it's safe to assume that this woman hadn't been in the temple for 12 years hadn't come into the presence of the Lord in 12 years. And it's also probably safe to assume that she had not experienced, she's probably experienced little to no physical touch for the last 12 years. So this woman is desperate. Luke tells us in his gospel that this woman, or sorry, it was Mark, this woman went to doctor after doctor after doctor and spent everything she had trying to get better and only got worse. So this woman is desperate. So she, but she hears that this Jesus is out here healing people. This Jesus is making sick people better. He's making blind people see. And she comes up with this idea in her head. Uh, I think this is Mark or Luke who says this as well. It records what she actually said. Oh no, sorry, we actually do have that right here. Uh, if you look in verse 
says she kept saying to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. So she comes up with this idea. She doesn't want to be the person who goes up, you know, if she, anybody she touches, remember, becomes ritually impure, can't go in the temple. Nobody wants to be that guy who makes the Messiah healer guy uh, impure, all right? So she, she's not going to just go up and be like, Jesus, like, heal me, touch me. She has to come up with this idea where she's just going to sneak in there. But also, nobody else wants to be around her. And Luke says that the crowds at this point are so thick that they were, Jesus was being crushed by the crowds, basically. And so she said, all right, I'm going to come up with a plan. I am going to sneak my way through this crowd. I'm not even going to talk to Jesus. I'm not even going to touch him. I, all I'm going to do is just touch the edge of his cloak, and I will be healed. And notice she says the same thing that Jairus, the synagogue leader, says. He says, if you touch my daughter, she will live. And this woman, she says, if I touch his cloak, I will be healed. That'll be important here in just a minute. But so we know what happens. Jesus turns around to this lady, and this is what he says, and we were picking up in verse 22. Jesus turned and saw her. I wonder how long it's been since this woman has been seen, really seen by somebody. He turns around and he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. I want to stop here for just a second because um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but whenever we're reading uh, in the text right here, we don't really get a good depiction of people's emotions and how they felt. And, you know, I wish that every Bible passage, if, whenever I sit down in the morning to read my Bible and spend time with Jesus, I wish that Steve would be there with me uh, every time, just sit there and just, all right, Steve, can you recite... Um, Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus talks to the bleeding woman and gets up there, and he's all animated and, uh, you know, can really give you what it probably would have felt like, but Steve's a busy guy and has more important things to do than be my Bible. Um, but my point is, is that we just have a text. It's all we have. We're not there. We didn't have the disciples standing there with their smartphones recording this so that we could get, like, all the emotions and the expressions and stuff like that, and it's kind of difficult when you just have text, and a lot of times, unfortunately, we kind of just read it just we read everything the same, monotone. Like, we got Jesus on the cross being crucified, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's probably not how he said it, right? I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a, a tangent uh, just for a second. And I may have said this already before, so like, forgive me if I've already just endured it, but sometimes with just text, it's hard to discern what people are saying and feeling. Um, my dad, for one, um, he's, he's a little bit older, and I've, there have been a few times, he's a little bit better about this now, and I'm really thankful for the invention of emojis, but before we really got the emoji thing figured out, you know, um, we'd be talking back and forth uh, in text, and he said, hey, are you coming over for dinner tonight, or something like that, and I would respond, yeah, exclamation point, meaning like, like, yeah, we sure are, can't wait, but he read that as, yeah, <laughs> leave me alone, stupid dad. And so it wasn't until we got some emojis worked in there where thumbs up, yeah, we're coming, Dad, smiley face. We're <laughs> kind of, so for some, for some of our more elderly people in the room, the exclamation point usually is not back sass. It's, it's like, yeah, really excited about that. So 
All I'm saying is, I, with this, back to the Bible, the reason I'm bringing this up is I really, I really want to try and catch the wit. I mean, they're, they're the things that Jesus teaches, they're the things that he does, and then I think there's this whole other thing, it's the way that he does things, the way that he says things, and the words that he says to this woman. He looks at her, he sees her, and he says, take heart. When some of the translations say, be enheartened. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really beautiful. And I love that he says, your faith has healed you, and he means her bodily um, malady, but I love that he says your faith has healed you, your body, but he says be enheartened, take heart. He's not just worried about healing her body, he says lift your head, daughter. You can feel the love in what he's saying. You can feel the real heart of Jesus in what he's saying to this woman. I'm going to be careful that we don't miss that. There's something also that I want to point out about this passage that is really cool. Um, so Right here in this story, we got Jesus. This woman comes with a physical problem, and what he says to her is, your faith has healed you. It's healed your body. There's another story, a lot like this one in the Bible, in the Gospels, where another woman, you'll probably remember this story, it's a very famous story, a woman comes to Jesus, and he's eating at the table, and she comes in, nothing wrong with her body, but she sits down, and she starts weeping, and she anoints his feet with perfume, and she washes his feet with her hair, and he turns around, and you remember what he said to her? He said, daughter, your faith has saved you. This is what he said to her. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, it's very similar. They're two very different stories, um, but what he says to each of the women is very similar. He says to the woman that we were just talking about, your, um, your faith has saved you. And to the woman that we were just read about in the story, he says, your faith has healed you. But... If you go and you look in the Greek behind the word, um, what each of, those, each of these words translated differently in our, our English translations, one is saved, one is healed, in Greek, it's the same word. Your faith has sozoed you. Your faith has sozoed you. Both of them are the same. Now, why is this important? Well, in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, the word sozo is used in a lot of different places to describe being saved, being delivered, being rescued. There's a few, a lot of them are referring to sins. Jesus talks about it uh, in Matthew 121. It says he will, save his, he will save his people from their sins. There's that word. Uh, in Romans, this classic passage that we talk about, says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you'll be sozoed. But even for practical things, like when Peter is drowning after he's walking on the water with Jesus, he says, Lord, sozo me, save me. And you go on, and Jude mentions it as well. It uses the same word to talk about how God delivered these people out of Egypt. Now, why am I telling you this? Jesus also uses this word, or the gospel writers also use this word, to describe physical healings, to describe what happened to this woman who was bleeding. He cures her of the bleeding, and he said, your faith, he literally says, your faith has saved you. And you go and look at other times where somebody is uh, delivered from a demon, and he says the same thing, that they were saved from the demon, but we translate it cured or, or something like that, or delivered. But it's all the same word. People were saved from their sins. People are saved from drowning. People are saved from sickness. People are saved from demons. And why do I bring this up? 
because I want you to know that I know Greek and I'm very smart. <laughs> That's not why, nor is that true. Um, the reason I bring this up is that I think we may have too small of a view of what salvation is. You know how it goes, Terry talked about like Southern Gospel, like you go walk around the Baptist church and stuff like that, uh, you always hear it growing up at church, you're like, brother, are you saved? And what does he mean by that? He means, have you prayed the prayer, have you got your sins forgiven, are you going to heaven, Right? Whereas I think if he would have been asking people that in Jesus' time when the gospel writers were writing this story and somebody comes up and says, brother, are you saved? And they'd be like, from what? Has Jesus saved you from your sins? Or has Jesus saved you from sickness? Or has Jesus saved you from a demon? Has Jesus saved you from drowning? Metaphorically. We need to have a bigger view of what salvation is. And of course, hear me, eternity is always the most important, of course. What's most important is that people are saved from their sin and they're going to be with Jesus forever. But Jesus is not just in the business of saving people from their sins and helping them just get through it until we die and go to heaven one day with him. Jesus is saving people still from sickness. Jesus is still saving people from demons. And Jesus is still saving people from drowning, so to speak. Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus didn't save people from everything before, and then, but now we got like a miniature version of Jesus' salvation 2,000 years later. I'm not trying to get up here and say that Jesus is, that I'm seeing Jesus heal all of every sickness and Jesus is healing every demon because that's just what Jesus do and salvation is that big. All I'm saying is there's something more here to this. I don't have it all figured out, but Jesus saves us from more than just our sins. <clears throat> so, um, I think we're doing good on time. So Jesus is going through, uh, Jesus is trying to get to the daughter, right? This is where this all started. It's the synagogue leader, Jairus, comes up. He says, heal my daughter. And so, that's where he meets him right here. Bleeding woman comes, heals her. Now we're here we'd arrive at Jairus' house. And so let's see what goes on here. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 23, if you're still following along. Jesus comes into the house, and it says that he saw the flute players and the disorderly crowd. This is the people coming in, and they're, they're mourning. They're already pretty much starting the funeral. And he said, no. I talked about sweet Jesus a second ago with uh, the bleeding woman. Take heart, daughter. Be in heart and daughter. Uh, He's not always sweet Jesus. Uh, listen to what he says. He says he saw the crowd and he said, go away. <laughs> the word that, uh, that's used to describe how he kicks them out is literally the same word he uses for, uh, for casting out demons. Like he literally like, like never mind. He <laughs> gets them out forcefully. <laughs> uh, Wayne, I just caught myself right there uh, for, from saying something not smart. So Jesus casts these people out. He says, go away. And he says something really strange here. He says, for the girl is not dead but asleep. And they began to make fun of him. But when, maybe that's why he said go away. Nobody likes to be made fun of. Um, 
It says, but when the crowd had been forced outside, he went in and gently took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the news of this spread throughout that region. And the thing that kind of caught me, I don't want to spend too much time on this part, but the thing that caught me about what he says uh, when he walks in is the Matthew and all the gospel writers say that she, by the time Jesus got there, she was dead. They all say she was dead. But Jesus says, hey, don't worry, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And I'm kind of like, did Jesus lie? Because if Jesus lied, then this, I don't know, Jesus just isn't supposed to lie. Uh, and so I look at this, and like, you know, is Jesus lying? Was he just like, you know, she was dead, but she's not dead? And, you know, or was Jesus like speaking metaphorically? I'm going to be honest, um, don't really know. I don't really know why he said it that way, but I do think it might have something to do with, with this. He's described elsewhere as the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I think that's a pretty fair description of what took place that day. And I think the point of all of this is that there's really, there's never a too late for Jesus. And I would say, in fact, a lot of times, Jesus likes to come through after it's too late. And so what that means for us, I think it means that there is never any person who's too far gone. I think it means that there's never any person that's too sick. I think it means that there is never a ministry that feels too dead. Because with Jesus, he is the one who gives life to the dead, and he calls things into being that were not. Jesus is the one that says in the word that he's, it all comes from him in creation. He's the one who speaks reality into being, and it's whatever he wants it to be. And so there's never a too late for him. And I know that a lot of times, some of us are sitting back here and hearing this, and it's kind of, it's difficult, and I'm, I'm hoping that this is a little difficult for you, and you hear that, and you said, but what about this? What about this little girl who died that I know, and she didn't get raised from the dead, and you're sitting here telling me it's the same Jesus, and you're telling me that nothing's too late for Jesus, but what about that? We'll get to that, but I do think it's important um, that we see Jesus as who he is, as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. All right, so you guys still tracking with me? We still got a few more healing stories to go. So we got Jesus over here. Jairus comes up to him, asks him to heal his daughter. Bleeding woman interrupts him right here. He heals her. Now he's at Jairus' house, heals the daughter. It's awesome. And now we're moving on. Says that he's, he continues his journey, and he gets interrupted by some more needy people. We're picking up in verse 27. And it says that Jesus went on from there, and two blind men began to follow him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. And it says that Jesus kept on going, and they came inside a house with the blind men, and he turns around, and he asks them a question. Very interesting question. He asked them in verse... Um, Verse 28, he says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. 
Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that nobody knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole region. All right, here comes the hard part. Imagine you come to your mechanic and you say, yeah, I need my tires balanced and rotated. And he says, do you believe that I can do this? (laughs) Wouldn't be here if I didn't. But Jesus, you know, what, what does that have to do with, with anything? What does your belief in the fact that somebody can do something have anything to do with their ability to perform it? But apparently with Jesus, it's important to him. The two are related. And you, if you go back and look uh, at, the, at some of the verses, uh, some of the stories that Luke has preached over the past few weeks, is that this idea of faith and its association with healing is coming up everywhere. In uh, one of the stories, um, I think this is with the, um, I took out all the context, so I have to kind of just like try and remember, but um, I think this is with the centurion. He said, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And then you go on, um, I think this was with the paralytic, and Jesus saw their faith and he said to the man, Take heart, your sins have been forgiven. When he saw their faith. And if this isn't clear enough for you, this is, this is, these are some of the passages that we've already gone through. There's a place in Mark, when Mark tells this story, the ones that we're reading about today, he goes on right after this to kind of give like um, a anti-story almost, where it's like, yes, Jesus is going around healing people, he's doing some awesome things, and then he comes to his hometown, and he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, don't shoot the messenger, but almost everywhere that healing and miracles and things like that come up in the Bible, faith is right there with it. When James talks about healing, he says, the prayer of faith will make the person well. Now, some of you are kind of squirming a little bit because when somebody gets up and uses the words faith and healing in the same sentence, we start having PTSD because we start thinking about the people that we've seen on TV who call themselves faith healers, who say, send me your money and I will send you um, this piece of paper that I prayed for and you'll be healed of your sickness and it doesn't work. And then they get up and blame us and say, oh, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And so we all just have a really bad taste in our mouth. But the problem is that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And anytime anybody mentions it, we say, we don't believe that. But the problem is, is that misuse is never an excuse for disuse. Just because somebody else did it wrong doesn't mean that we can say that Jesus was wrong. And I'm not going to tell you that I have this all figured out, that I know exactly like, how you can get more faith and see more healings and stuff like that, but apparently Jesus is saying that it matters. It matters that when we're coming to pray, Jesus may be asking us, do you believe that I can do this? I 
I actually got up and gave this sermon um, one time. Um, I was at an, in uh, seminary, and I was preaching the Mark version of this story. And Mark lays it out even clearer than Matthew does, and he actually mentions faith in each and every story. To Jairus, um, or to the bleeding woman, he says, your faith has healed you. To Jairus, whenever um, he's going to heal his daughter, somebody comes up and says in, Ma- in Mark's version of the story that somebody says, hey, your daughter died. Jesus looks at him and he said, don't be afraid, just believe. And she will live. That's what Luke adds, she will live. And so, uh, and also uh, the last part of that sermon was that part I just mentioned where Jesus goes to his hometown and they, nothing happened because they didn't believe. And so, at seminary, in expository preaching class, they tell you, you have to preach the text. You preach what's there. You can't just read about Jesus right here and then just go and talk about something else and go bring up some other scripture. And they said, you got to preach what the text is saying. And so, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I don't know what else this could be saying. Jesus every single time mentions faith and its importance in seeing God move. And so I got up there and I preached on seeing, on on faith in order to see God move. And I wish I went maybe to Luke's seminary because I think he said, that would be a great sermon at my seminary. I'm like, I almost got kicked out. Um, I went up and I preached about this and I actually shared a story about um, a woman who used to go to our church um, Terry can, pre- can tell you the story a lot better because he was actually like a part of this story but there was a woman at our church who had a, a son named Noah and he came down with a really horrible case of meningitis just a few days after he was born and it was so bad that pretty much all the doctors and nurses said it was the worst case they'd ever seen and he was going to live maybe one maybe two more days and long story short she invites out all of, the ner- all of the staff on the floor that are taking care of her son, and she says, my son will live. Do not speak death over my son ever again. If you do, we will take him somewhere else to be taken care of. And basically, they kept praying for him. He lived another day, he lived another day, he lived another week, and he's still alive today. And so I told that story uh, and I, I, t- I preached it with all of this, talking about faith and how faith has a role in, in healing. It has a role in God moving. And at the end of the sermon, I went and sat down. Everybody clapped. And um, I sat down, and they usually give you, they give you the feedback right there. And the professor got up, and he said, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. It was a pretty good sermon, y'all. Uh, <laughs> just saying. But he got up and he said, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. And he said, I was sitting there and I was listening and I got bored. And I was like, why am I bored? And he said, because I hate it. And why do I hate it? Because what you said was not true. Like, I was reading the Bible. (laughs) But he said, what you said is not true. And he said, and notice he didn't say anything about the scripture that I preached But he said, I also have sat in that hospital waiting room and we prayed for that little kid and they died. He later went on and uh, he he later apologized to me. Um, I think he realized he stepped out of bounds or somebody came and told him that he had to apologize or something. But what he had done is that he had read something in the Bible And he had an experience right here. And there was a rift between it. 
In the Bible, we see Jesus saying, pray for the sick and they will be healed. It's almost frustrating how matter-of-fact Jesus said it. He said, if you just pray in faith, whatever you pray for, it'll be done for you. James says, take the sick person, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, pray in faith, and they will be healed. He doesn't say maybe, he says they'll be healed. And so we read all that, and then we look at our experience, and we say, we prayed for them, we did all the things it said to do, and it didn't happen. And so what, we, what some people do with that is, in or, and this is a really frustrating rift to be in, this place between what Scripture says and our experience of what actually happens in our lives, and we are not okay with the rift, and we feel like we need to close it a little bit. And so what a lot of people do, like what my professor did, is they, take, they, they see in the Bible, hey, if you do this stuff, people will be healed. Jesus went around healing people, all that. And they go back, and they see what happens in their real life. It doesn't happen. And so they go back to the Bible, and they say, that must not be what that means. And so we have to go back and try to reread it, and we have to go back and say, well, that was only for the apostles. That was just to get the church started. Uh, you know, once the Bible was ready, we don't need any of that stuff anymore. And so they very, oh, it's so convenient. They conveniently close that gap into where there's no mystery, there's no disappointment, there's no more discouragement. But the problem is that this is not what the Bible says. There are other people who they see this and they say, you know what, like, the Bible says that people are going to be healed. The Bible says that Jesus is powerful. He said that we pray and things are going to happen. And so I believe that, and so we're going to pray. And then they pray, and then they're like, well, he kind of got healed. And they go out and they say, well, he really got healed. You know, he, he, he was walking, and well, he's in a wheelchair today. Yeah, but he was walking. Just believe, you know. And they kind of take their experience, and they're altering what really happened and they're not really being honest about with it and it's just you know you're still sick no I'm healed in faith you don't have to convince yourself you don't have to convince yourself uh, that Jesus did something that you really didn't do yet and so each in the same way they're trying to close that gap and say you know what this is what the Bible says this is my experience you know same 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 Uh, sorry, that's something goofy that me and my friends say all the time. Sounds goofy. But my point is, is that there's a third option. And the third option is seeing what the Bible says and letting it say what it says and believing what it says. And sometimes when we pray and sometimes when we expect for great things and it doesn't happen and we don't try to close the gap and we say, I'm okay with living in the mystery I'm okay with being confused. I'm okay with being discouraged if it means that I can be honest with myself and honest with Jesus. And this is the only place where you can actually stay dependent on the Lord. Because anywhere else I become real comfortable and, well, you know what? Everything makes sense now. But in this, we have to, we come and we pray and we don't see results. And so we have to get back down on our knees and we say, Jesus, please. Jesus, we need you. Or Jesus, we prayed and they did die. And we need you even more now. But we're not going to say that what you said isn't what you said. You all still tracking with me? I don't know. Um... How you get more faith, honestly. It's not, I, I don't think that it's something that we can just sit around and say, 
I'm going to believe her. Okay, I believe Jesus. And like I made myself believe hard enough, and now we're going to see somebody, you know, get healed or see this person get saved or whatever. There's only one place in the Bible that I can actually think of where there's a person who gained more faith. And this man comes up to Jesus, and he's asking for, I think, his daughter or something. But Jesus asks him a similar question. He says, do you believe? And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I'm not an expert in this by any means, but I think that's where we're supposed to start. Say, Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me believe. Faith has something to do with healing and God working and God moving. Okay? I know that's probably not super helpful, but it's there. And that's kind of sometimes where we have to start. Um, I will say this, is that Jesus brings up, there's just something with faith. Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Paul says that it's by faith that you're saved. And Jesus looks at this woman who is bleeding, and he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. So there's something there. Okay. Last story. So, Jairus, bleeding woman, Jairus' daughter, blind men, and now Jesus, we're finally at the end, our last story. And this one will be quick, I promise. In verse 32, it says, As they were going away, a man was demon possessed, and un- a man who was un- who was demon possessed and unable to speak was brought to him. So I want to take just a second. Um, the word here that's used for uh, mute, uh, my translation said unable to speak. Um, it can be used to mean mute, or it can be used to mean in some places uh, mute and deaf. So I think, I think context probably tells us that he was probably only mute because it didn't say anything about him hearing. But just keep that in mind. Is it could mean mute and deaf. So there's this guy coming up to Jesus. And he has a demon, by the way. So you got a guy who is for sure mute, maybe deaf, definitely has a demon. And he actually himself does not even come to Jesus. It says that people brought him to Jesus. Now, listen to this question that Jesus asked this man. After the demon was cast out, the, mute, the man who had been mute began to speak. Je- Jesus doesn't ask this guy any questions. That'd be really rude to ask a mute man a question. And here's something that I want to point out. Is that, yes, faith has some kind of role in in God working and God moving in our lives. And some places it says that he didn't move because they didn't have faith. And so many places it says that something did happen because of faith. But sometimes Jesus just helps people. Sometimes Jesus just meets people where they're at. I think we need to pray for faith. We need to ask God to increase our faith so that we can see him do amazing things in our lives, in our church. But other times Jesus just comes and we are blind and mute and deaf and possessed by demons. Not us literally, but metaphorically. And people have to, we just have nothing And Jesus meets us where we're at and just heals him because that's what Jesus does.
last verse, I want to look at the response of what the people say to this Jesus who's going around and he's just healing all these people and loving all these people, raising people from the dead, casting out demons. If you'll remember, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember the people's response? You better, because I preached a sermon, so if you don't remember, then that means... It says that they were amazed at his teaching. They had never heard anybody teach with the authority that he taught with. And look at what they say to him after they've seen all he's done. It says they were amazed and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. That's my prayer for us this morning is that we would continue to be amazed um, by Jesus because he is amazing. And I pray that the Lord give us faith to ask for more amazing things because Jesus loves to be amazing. And I think sometimes we've been okay with Jesus being kind of boring. The greatest compliment I've ever received is, was by Nathaniel Fancher. He sat down one day and he told me, thank you for showing me that it can be fun to follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about his rapping. <laughs> you guys remember Nathaniel's rapping? He wasn't talking about that fun. He, he had caught something where he was going out and he was telling his friends about Jesus and praying for people at school. And that's what he was referring to. And he was just like expecting that God was going to do things. He was seeing Jesus as amazing. So my prayer is that we would see Jesus as amazing again and expect him to do amazing things with us. Jesus, we pray that you would give us more faith. Jesus, faith to ask for big things and faith to see big things happen, but also just faith to be okay and faith to trust you Whenever we don't see things happen, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our church. Thank you for being with us. We pray that you would continue to teach us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.